One of the questions that I get asked often, and I would, if I had to sort of give a number to it, I would probably say at least three to four times a month, is the question, what is the will of God? And it's asked in a number of different ways, even if a, a person doesn't use those terms, they, they, there's a sense of inquiry about what, what is the will of God. Um, actually, yesterday, um, Caroline was running errands for me, and we were driving down the road, and on a billboard, it said the will of God. And, and she saw that and then responded and said, well, what, what is the will of God? And I felt a little bad for her because she's in the car with me, and that's like a captive audience for a preacher. And so I said, well, and she had no idea I was preaching on this topic today. And I said, well, it's funny you should ask. And, and then she got, you know, she got the sermon early, you know. So I think she regretted running errands with her father, that's for sure. But we asked that question, and in order to answer the question, we really have to hold two aspects and, and sort of toggle back and forth uh, between each to, under, to, to fully answer or to understand the question. Because when we talk about the will of God, we can talk about the will of God on, say, a universal aspect or, or a big picture, what is the will of God for, for people, and, and we can address that, and then we can also toggle to the other side of the answer, which is, what then is that will of God for me? And so when we talk about the will of God on the larger level, or at least the on a universal level, maybe the, the macro level, the John Scripture passage is important. In the passage, Jesus is teaching, and he actually talks about the will of God. He said, you know, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. This indeed is the will of my Father. And so what is it? that all who see the Son and believe in Him may have eternal life. And so on this larger level or this universal level, when we talk about the will of God, to summarize Jesus' words, it's that for all of creation to be redeemed. Now, we can use different languages or different language. We could say to be saved, salvation. But what Jesus is talking about is that God's desire, God's will for all people, it's to be redeemed. And that's fixed, it's constant, and it's the same for every single person. And so on one aspect of the answer, whenever we ask what is the will of God, on this larger level, it is that all people to be redeemed. That's God's will. So then naturally, and this is what most people really want to know when they ask me this question, is what is then this big will or big picture macro level will of God? What, is that, what does that look like for me in my life personally? Well, it's going to involve your circumstances and be a little unique to those and maybe the best way that I could, could explain this was, is to give you some examples from the book of Acts. Acts, is, is, I would argue, is the best book in the New Testament to see what this macro, big picture will of God, what, how does that play out, what does that look like in the life of a person or in the life of a, of a smaller group of people.
Take Acts 10. Some of you are familiar with the book of Acts. Acts 10, Peter is on a rooftop, and he's waiting for lunch. It's about lunchtime, and, and he sort of dozes off, and he has these visions where this sheet is being lowered three different times. And on the sheet are these animals and all these creepy crawlies that, that he, he was taught early on as a little boy never to touch nor to eat. And as the sheet is descending, three different times, he hears three different times, kill and eat. And as soon as the vision, the sheet uh, ascends back up into heaven and the vision is over, he discovered that there are men from Caesarea who have traveled under a request by Cornelius to get Peter and to take him back to Cornelius' home. Well, no first century, good, obedient, practicing Jew is going to travel to the house of a Gentile. And so Peter discerns, in light of the vision, what's going on, at least from this request, I would add probably some time of prayer, that he needs to travel with these these people to Caesarea, to Cornelius' house. So he does. Not long upon arriving, he discovers that the same time that God is working on him in that big picture will for redemption, God is also working on Cornelius. And so Peter and Cornelius begin to talk, and the next thing that happens is Peter witnessed a Gentile version of Pentecost. That big picture, macro, how it funneled down into the micro, into something personal, it looked different for Cornelius and for Peter. Five chapters later, in Acts chapter 15, Peter has returned now to Jerusalem And so are some other evangelists. They have returned to Jerusalem. And so the church is gathering now to figure out what to do with these Gentiles who are coming into the church because they're also believing in Christ. So some of you are familiar with Acts chapter 15. They have this conference. They begin to discuss. They begin to pray. And they ended with this. This big picture will of God, all people to be redeemed, how that looks inside of their life, well, they just need to make it easy for people to come into the church because it was unique to their own circumstances. Acts 21. Paul is uh, finishing up one of his missionary journeys, and, and he's also at Caesarea the years after Peter, and there, there are people that are, that are coming up or are actually coming down from Jerusalem, and, and they make their way, and there's this, this, this prophet that's there. And as soon as he sees Paul, he, 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 he traveled up to Paul, and he takes off his belt, and he wraps his hands. And he says, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be bound in chains. And so the entire community there impressed upon Paul not to go But Paul discerns that he needs to go. My point is this. In in these, these three examples, this big picture will of God of all to be redeemed, 
That is fixed. That is constant. That does not change. But the way that is applied into a life personally, it's going to be filtered in through their own unique circumstances. Because the will of God for Paul, the will of God for Peter, and the will of God for the early church inside of Acts, it looks different for each. The big picture doesn't change. Redemption. But how that plays out, or what does that look like in your life, it's going to be unique to what's going on in your life at that time. Because what's consistent with all three of the examples that I mentioned is they all had to discern what the big picture, how does that look inside of their life personally? And so to understand the will of God for you, how that fits inside of your life, redemption, that's going to require discernment. Which leads us to our Romans passage. Because what's tied to discernment in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is one's disposition of their heart. When you read in the Old Testament or you read in the New Testament where people are discerning that personal, how that big picture will of God plays out inside of their life, it always requires discernment. And so there's a premium there. And it's not tied, discernment is, disposition is not tied to to a geographical place. It's tied to the disposition of a person's heart, which means that you have to be in a right place heart-wise in order to hear, in order to know, and in order to discern how this macro will of God plays out into your life personally. Some of you know last week, my family, we were celebrating uh, my, my, oldest, or, or my oldest nephew, his wedding, and it's my older brother's oldest, and uh, we were down in Albany, and uh, the, we, after the wedding was over, we were in, in, under the tent for the reception, and, and we were sitting at our table, and, and it sort of lets you under, see what the table's like. I, I'm sitting here, and then my son, Connor's to the left of me, his girlfriend, Julia, is to the left of him. To the right of me is Brooke, and then to the right of Brooke is, is Caroline, and then my younger brother and his family is on the other side of the table. And some of you also understand that if you are on my left side and you are speaking to me, the odds on me hearing you is about slim and none because of partial hearing loss. And so we were at the table, and the band's starting to play a little bit, and so it's, it's, a, it's a little loud, and so I'm having a hard time hearing just naturally. And, and my, what I don't know is my son is talking to me, and he's asking me questions and just talking about things. And for about five to seven minutes, he's just going at it, you know, just talking to me. Well, Caroline realizes that I don't have a clue what's going on. And so I finally look over at Caroline, and she gives me one of these things. It's like, duh. Are you going to answer him, Dad? And I was like, honey, I, I don't even know he's talking. Much less, and, and so Connor, the light bulb goes off, and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember, left side. And so then it's like, look at me, Dad, so you can hear me. So in the Green household, 
if you want to hear, you can't be on the left side. You got to be on the right. If not, I won't have a clue. The same is true for us. To hear, to know, to discern, right disposition of the heart. Because that big picture will, how it funnels down into your life personally, it's going to involve the specifics of what's going on in your life at that time. So this is the help from us, from Paul. Romans chapter 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In the ancient world, it was very common for people to present sacrifices all the time. All they would do is they would go down to the local temple, and they were everywhere, or to the local altar, and they would present normally an animal or maybe some type of gift, and, and, and they would present that either to the priest or the priestess of inside that temple, and then they would take it, and that would be a gift, an offering. And they practiced it, it all the time. It was a part of their natural, uh, uh, national identity. It was a part of their participation in, in, in cultic rituals. And for many people in that day, it was nothing more than just checking a box. I know what I'm supposed to do. I go down to this local temple. I present whatever that is needed in hope that somehow then that deity is going to answer me in some form or fashion. And so what Paul drew upon was this common practice and understanding for the Romans and said it's not just that you present a gift, what you present is actually your entire life. You present yourself and your life becomes the gift to God. It's active, it's living, it's breathing, it's growing. What it is not is just checking a box. And so if we want to cultivate a right disposition, a right heart, so that we can hear, so that we can know how God's will for all plays out in our life. We don't check a box. We present our life, the totality of it, so that what's then formed inside of us is a right disposition to hear. Because Paul also understood that as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, you will also not be conformed to the world around you. Because what's true in the ancient world and also true in our day is that the culture around 
good, bad, or indifferent, always seeks to influence. It did then. It does now. And in the text, the wording that Paul used is that don't be influenced in such a way that your life looks this way. Be influenced in a different way so your life looks like this. I don't know if you were here two weeks ago for our senior Sunday. But if you, if, you, if, if, if you did make that service, I hope that you will go on our website and, and listen to two of our youth, Emily Lawrence and Avery Ellis. Because both of them, whether they knew it or not, they were fulfilling Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. Because they both described their life with acknowledging the different influences in their life. As little girls running around the halls of St. Paul, then into youth, and now as seniors on their way, getting ready to, to go off to college. But what both of them described is how these different influences in their life were forming and cultivating something inside of them that now represents the kingdom of God. Conformity is not to where we practice uh, abandonment of the things around us or, or we think it's some form of escapism. No, conformity, is, you engage the world around you. You just do it different as if you're listening to a different voice, the voice of God. Singing off a... Uh, a different set of sheet music. The way Paul described it in 2 Corinthians says that, 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 that as you give yourself, present yourself as this living sacrifice, it, it, a veil is removed, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And you begin to reflect the glory of God, which makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Steve Harper wrote a really good book called Walking in the Light. And he described, at least for a chapter, what it was like to, to discern the will of God. And this is what he said. He said, praying to know God's will is a step-by-step, little-by-little experience, which God is the giver and we are the receiver. It requires listening, putting yourself into a position of receptivity, and then taking the next steps in relation to what you see and what you hear. Said differently, about 2,000 years ago, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, present your body as a living Sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. And do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind for this purpose, so that, so that, 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's macro will will always be for people to be redeemed. That's fixed, that's constant, that is unchanging. And the way that plays down or drills down into your life, it's going to involve your circumstances. It's going to involve a certain time and a certain place because it's going to involve you. And in that process of going from big picture to personal, what each of us need, discernment. You can't discern without a good and right disposition of your heart. Little by little, step by step, you present the whole of your life to God and be conformed to Him so that we all discern God's will for our life. So may it be for you, my friends, this morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray. Lord, as we take what you do in your Son, Jesus Christ, and then that becomes something personal, we're so grateful that what you do through your Spirit is you take his works And you apply it to us in a way that it becomes unique to us, meaning that it's also going to be unique to our own circumstances in our life. We pray for discernment. At times where we might be like Peter on a rooftop. Or maybe a group of leaders discerning next steps. Or maybe in the face of friendly opposition to discern what those next steps are, that little by little experience, so that we acknowledge that we are the receivers. And then once received, the courage to take the steps that are needed. Guide us and direct us, O God, we pray, and we pray this in your name. Amen.